worshiping with us this morning, and we have more worship to come as we observe communion together, and we'll be singing more songs about our faith and about Jesus, and what a blessing that will be. As I was preparing for today and to share with you, I was reminded about a story that was told of a Sunday school teacher who decided to have the young children in her class memorize one of the most quoted Bible passages. That would be Psalm 23. So she gave the youngsters a month to learn this passage. And a little boy named Bobby was excited about the task, but he just couldn't remember all of the psalm. So after much practice, he could barely get past the first line. On the day that the children were scheduled to, to recite Psalm 23 and in, front of, in front of everyone, Bobby was extremely nervous. And when it was his turn, he stepped up to the microphone and proudly said, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all I need to know. <laughs> and certainly you're, you're doing well if you know that and if you experience that and if you're enjoying that by glorifying God forever. We have a great God, and we have a God who is always good. We read through Psalm 145 this morning, and we were reminded of his goodness and his faithfulness to all of the generations, and we're also challenged to remember our place in bringing him glory. We have been created and our chief purpose is to enjoy God by glorifying him forever. That is why we are here. And I want to invite you into a time now where we will do our best by God's grace to lose self-interest, to abandon ourselves, and to really think about God and what it means that we have been created by him and that he has given us this chief purpose of glorifying him, not just here and now, but as we anticipate upon believing in Jesus and accepting that free gift of salvation from our sins, as we anticipate heaven and what is to come, that our glorification of the Father is not just for the here and now, but it truly will continue forever. We're going to be so consumed by glorifying him and worshiping him in heaven that I'm not sure much of anything else is really going to matter. And so we're looking forward to that day and certainly should be practicing for that day even now. I want to just walk you through some things this morning that I hope will be helpful in developing this particular thought and in reminding us of our chief purpose. And of course, as we get into this, we want to know what the Scripture says. There are actually some commands in Scripture that inform us that we need to be pursuing this joy in God. And as a result, we need to be glorifying Him. We come to the first one. We have a list of several, as you can see in front of you this morning. But in a passage like Psalm 37 and verse 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. I think from time to time, uh, on a regular basis, it's really, really good for us to consider asking ourselves this question. 
I would have joy or I would be happy if, and then fill in that blank. And so I wonder this morning if you could consider that, where you are in life. And if, if there was just one more thing that could happen in your life that would give you joy, what would that be? You see, the answer to that question will reveal a lot about our priorities. It'll reveal a lot to us about what we truly treasure. And as I've shared with you many times before and want to remind you again this morning, the Apostle Paul, as he was detained in Rome in prison, wrote to the Philippian church that very short letter, Philippians, we call it today. And as you dive into that book and you read that book, you're going to see that in each chapter, Jesus is glorified and exalted. And it is revealed to us in each of those chapters who Jesus is to us and what he should mean to us. Paul mentions joy almost 14 times in that short book, that short letter. And the big idea is that Paul could have joy even in the least desirable of situations because he was finding his satisfaction, his fulfillment, his joy in Christ. And so the same can be true for us today as well, can't it? If we find our joy and our satisfaction and our fulfillment in Jesus, we can enjoy God and we can glorify him forever. But that means, as Psalm 37 reminds us, we must take delight in him. In what are you delighting this morning? What has your affections? What has your heart? What captivates your attention? Is it in line with our chief purpose to enjoy God by glorifying him forever? Or has something else supplanted him on the throne of our hearts? An idol of the heart, if you will. So we want to sort that out in our own lives and guard our hearts and our affections carefully. We come to Psalm 32, 11, and we're reminded, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Again, finding our joy and our satisfaction in our great God. We go next to Psalm 33, 1, and we're reminded there, rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. And truly, as we have gathered here this morning and lift up our hearts as we are passionately pursuing God, it is a beautiful thing. For me, it's truly one of the highlights of the week to gather with you and to worship. I, I anticipate that. I look forward to that. It truly is something that I value highly to come together with you as our church family and sing praises to our great God. It is a beautiful experience and something that God has truly given to us as a gift. I hope that we'll make the most of it and cherish it for all of those times that we have. Again, in the Psalms, we're told, let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. 
And then in Psalm 100, we know this passage well. Shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And then Paul in the book of Philippians writes these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. We are to enjoy God and in doing so glorify him forever. Our joy, our fulfillment, and our satisfaction must truly be found in him. You know, there might be something right now that is testing you. I suppose that in a group this size, there's more than one of you who, who is struggling with something, who is challenged with something. And, and your ability to rejoice in the Lord and your ability to find joy in him is being tested right now. And I just want to encourage you. I want you to focus more on who God is and why he has created you than focusing on escaping whatever it is that is challenging you. Far too often that is exactly our first inclination. We want to escape whatever it is that ails us, whatever it is that is challenging us and pressing us, and in all of our efforts and energies being focused on that, we miss the chief purpose for why we have been created. Now, if we do that, there are some consequences, and I want to talk to you about those consequences today because God speaks to this. He speaks to this in, in the Old Testament in a couple of passages that we will look at, but he doesn't take this lightly. In fact, he talks to his people about some serious consequences in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 47 and 48. What does he say? Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joy and a cheerful heart. Wow. Because you didn't find joy in me and in serving me, even though you had an abundance of everything, isn't it interesting that he, he gives us that revelation here? I think it's kind of a warning to us today. We're so blessed to live in a place where we really have an abundance of everything, and especially in comparison to the rest of the world. I don't even have to make that case. Just being alive and paying attention, you know that. We have an abundance of everything. And I think what he's telling us is, is that this is a problem. This can be problematic this time of abundance and living in this way of having everything and more than everything that you need can cause you, rather than finding your joy, rather than finding your satisfaction in your great God and in Jesus, his son, you could begin to find your satisfaction in the things that make up your abundance. And it seems like maybe that's what had happened to, to these people to whom God was speaking. You weren't serving me with joy and a cheerful heart. You had an abundance of everything. And what happens to them? Look at verse 48. You will serve your enemies. Because you did this, you will serve your enemies. The Lord will send against you in famine, thirst, and nakedness, and a lack of everything. So the very thing that you made an idol in your hearts is the very thing that God's going to take from you to show you that you need him even when you have more than you need. You're going to lack everything. He will place an iron yoke on your neck 
until he has destroyed you. So wandering away from our chief purpose is dangerous and it invites the chastening of our loving Heavenly Father into our lives. It also does something else. It leaves us empty. Like the words that the prophet remind us of in Jeremiah chapter 2. Be horrified at this. Heavens be shocked and utterly appalled. This is the Lord's declaration. For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. They've stopped finding their satisfaction in me, the living water. And they've gone after other sources of satisfaction. They've dug cisterns for themselves. These are cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. So in place of finding fulfillment, the living water in the Father, who has everything that we need, who will give us everything that we need, as Psalm 145 testified of earlier in our, our reading this morning, he has it all and he's willing to give it all to us as we have need. He wants to be our sole source of satisfaction. But instead of being content with that, what happens? They sought after other things in comparison to stay true to the illustration. These were cisterns that couldn't even hold water. Here's God on one hand with all the water. And here are his people. The scriptures say here they abandoned him. They turned their back on him and sought after other things that couldn't even hold water. No comparison at all to the sustenance and the satisfaction that God has to offer. In a very real sense, this is what we do whenever we, see, whenever we cease to find our satisfaction in God and enjoy him by bringing him glory. And this will leave us empty every time. You see, when we begin to see other things as a source of satisfaction and fulfillment, things, people, possessions, we're tricked. Because of the glitter, perhaps, because of how attractive they are to us, we actually get fooled into thinking there's something worthwhile in abandoning the satisfaction that God gives me and chasing after the satisfaction that I think that I've been fooled into thinking that I can obtain from these other things. And so I go after that for a little bit, and what happens? Well, I'm not truly satisfied, am I? So I think, well, maybe I need to have a little more of that, so I go after it a little more. Or maybe I change my focus to someone or something else, and I have to have that a little more, and before too long, I'm caught in this cycle that never satisfies me. All the while, the loving Heavenly Father is over here from where we departed with all the water that we need to quench every thirst that we have. And He's just there waiting for us to return to what truly satisfies. Don't be fooled today. Don't be fooled any day into thinking that you truly can be satisfied outside of the Father. Don't buy into that. It invites God's chastening and it will leave you desperately empty. Now, I want to talk to you for a few minutes then about doing this. How is it 
that we can enjoy and glorify him. This is our chief purpose. And so I'm going to give you some things. You know these things already, but I want to remind you of them. And I want us to, to think about how we can make them personal in our daily walk. That's really your homework assignment. Be reminded of these things and then think about what your life looks like if it revolves around these things. If this truly is a part of who you are every day of your life. Not just here at this address. Church is not a place you go or something you do. You are the church. These things should travel well with you tomorrow. And I want to encourage you to consider what a life looks like that is captivated by these things. So we're going to give you some words that hopefully will cause you to think about this. The first one, of course, is exaltation. If, if you want to enjoy and glorify God and accomplish your chief purpose by cooperating with the Holy Spirit in this dispensation, it involves exalting him. Psalm 92, 8, but you, Lord, are exalted forever. Chapter 97 and verse 9, for you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted above all the gods. Watson first explained in his writings that to glorify God is to set God highest in our thoughts and to have a venerable esteem of him. We glorify him when he is exalted in mind and heart, when we find him to be greater than all things created or imagined. He is glorified in us when we admire him for his person, for his work, and for his promises. Exalting him, appreciating him truly, and holding him in high regard. So I think we need to ask the question today, who is God to you? Who is he? Who is he? Now, we're not going to launch a lesson now at this moment in time on theology proper and study who God is. We, we don't have the time for that this morning, but that is a worthy study. Who is God? How do you view God? He needs to be, deserves to be, is worthy to be exalted in your heart and in your mind and in your motivations far above anything that's created or imagined, as Watson says. So we need to challenge those things in our life that pull us away from having this high view of God. And those can be different things for us. The things of life that come in that pull us away from a high view of God. Anything that tempts us with substituting something else in this exalted place that only God deserves. What are those things in your life? They could be different things for all of us. We all have different experiences and backgrounds. We're going in different directions. We're, we're assuming different tasks and responsibilities. And surely in all of those things, we have things that pull us away or at least try to pull us away from an exalted high view of God and try to lure us in to having a man-centered view of God. Be careful of these things. 
hold God in high esteem and challenge and throw down anything that tempts you otherwise. Exalt him, keep him in his high place as the sovereign of the universe who is your creator, God. You know, as we study God and we get to know who he really is and we learn about him and we, we're, we're, we're certainly pulled into exalting him and keeping him at this high place, you know what happens? We learn how to adore him, don't we? We see that he is worthy of our adoration. Psalm chapter 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to Yahweh, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory that is due his name. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of his holiness. Put him in his rightful place and you will learn how to adore him. You can't help but to adore him once he is in his rightful place and once you are fully informed as to who he is. Again, I want to press you and ask you to consider your prayer life as an indicator of where you may be in this regard. How do you pray and what do you pray? I think a lot of us pray out of desperation and we run, we run right to our wish list and the wish lists of others. If we're not careful, that's what we do with prayer. And I want you to consider being more disciplined than that in, in talking with God. I mean, just think about it, right? If you had a relationship with another human being and every time you talked to them, all you did was ask them for something. How many of you are up for that? Right? This is the kind of thing that drives a pastor to the back door to hide in his study, right? I mean, we just, no, don't ask me for anything. Let's just relate. And I'm being facetious, but you understand. What if, what if your child, every time they came to you, the only way they knew how to relate to you was to ask you for something? Would that be a substantive relationship? Or what about your spouse? The only thing that you ever did in communicating to your spouse was to ask them for something. Now, it's okay to ask for things once in a while, but if that's all you ever did, what kind of a relationship would that be? We meet this head on and we keep this from happening as we develop the proper high view of God that leads us into this adoration. But you don't get here until you have God exalted in your heart and in your life. You don't get here. You can't get here. You can't really appreciate and adore him if he's not in his rightful place. He'll be nothing but a genie in a bottle to you if you're not careful. So be careful of this. Adore him. Maybe discipline yourself that before you, before you do anything in your prayer life and in your prayer language, that you just spend some moments, maybe extended periods of time, just reveling in who God is and just glorifying him, speaking glorification to him in your prayer, affirming who he is and saying that to him before you ever ask for anything. Maybe that's how we should discipline ourselves. I, I think there's a lot of merit to that. Think about that in terms of your relationship with other human beings. 
Think about how that positively affects the relationship. How many of you here this morning would say, my love language is words of affirmation? That really makes me tick. Anybody like that? You can raise your hand. Nobody likes affirmation? Okay. All right. We'll have an altar call later and you can confess your sin then. Being affirmed. Well, God enjoys that in our relationship with him and it's not just for that God does enjoy glorification it's why he has made us but we gain from that too we grow through that as well for one it keeps us from being so daggone selfish right adoring him and what happens as we adore and affirm someone in this way I think we can learn to love them too I think affection comes into play next. If I had to describe this in a process, I, I think these things work well together. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your strength. You can't do that if you're not exalting him. If he doesn't have that, that, that high place in your life, this isn't going to happen. If you haven't learned how to adore him and, and speak glorifying things about him and affirm who he is, you never get to this phase, never get here, and certainly not even close to being able to live out Deuteronomy 6.5 with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Basically everything that you are, you're supposed to be loving him with everything. We truly glorify God when we love him. The love a Christian has for God is born of the spirit and flourishes in faith, as one writer said. It is only small when our faith is small. God is glorified in us when our love for him is true. This love is exuberant, not a few drops, but a stream. Affection, love. As a result, I think we can move into something else as we glorify him and as we testify of his worth to us. We want to do what he says. We find ourselves submitting to him. The Bible's full of passages that deal with this. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. In John chapter 15 My Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Glorifying, enjoying the Father through submitting to him. Again, this doesn't just happen. You submit to those whom you've exalted to that place, who you adore, who you love. Submission truly follows these things. And beyond that, it's not just for ourselves because we are to be testifying of God's infinite glory to the world around us. We are to truly make him famous and so there is proclaiming that needs to be done. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. 
Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How many of you have been called out of darkness? Anyone fit that description today? We're going to celebrate what allowed that to happen today as we partake of the bread and the cup. Proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, enjoying and glorifying God. In closing, I want to remind us all of where this comes from. None of us gets here on our own. We can never think that. We can never think that this is us, that we have accomplished this, that we have somehow become uh, spiritual enough to do this. No, don't lose your high view of God. So where does this capacity come from? Well, it really originates and starts with what? A changed heart. Someone wrote it this way, the meaning of conversion is the God-given awakening of delight in the glory of God. God does it. Why? Because he's the one that changes the heart. Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. We can only enjoy and glorify God forever because of the change of heart that he accomplishes in us. Not only that, but the scripture says that God is the one who awakens the heart to love him. Deuteronomy chapter 30. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and then you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. God gives us faith to believe and he awakens our hearts to love him. It truly is a work of his grace. Our salvation and freedom from the penalty of sin is all about grace. The ongoing sanctification and freedom from the power of sin that we enjoy in this life is all from God's grace, just as much from God's grace. And finally, in closing, truly all about God as well. He is the one who can sustain this fear of himself in our heart. Jeremiah chapter 32, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never turn away from doing good to them, and I will put fear of me in their hearts so they will never again turn away from me. The capacity for all of this comes from God. So, I want us to consider these things, and I want us to embrace them as we endeavor, as we put everything that we have into enjoying God and glorifying him forever. Our homework assignment, all of us, need to consider what this looks like for us in everyday life. What does it look like to exalt, adore, love, submit to, and proclaim God and make him famous? What does that look like? I hope you'll consider it, and I hope you'll practice it well for 
his glory. We're going to pray at this time, and then I want to invite us into a time of partaking of the elements of the table of communion. But let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day, and specifically this time where we can gather. We want to exalt you and love you. We want to lift high Jesus at this time and rejoice as we remember the painful, horrible sacrifice that he made on the cross for our sins. And God, we just ask that as we do this in the closing of our gathering, that we would do so with a focus on you and not ourselves, that you truly would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.